The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make money. My job, entertain, educate, teach, context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What's the best way to invest in the stock market? Well, one way is to simply own every stock, basically pretending that all stocks are created equal. Something that's clearly a decent strategy in a day like today, where Dow advanced 9 points, but the S&P edged up 0.03%, NASDAQ jumped 0.21%, S&P and NASDAQ reaching new records again. And that's what Warren Buffett has advocated. By the way, tonight he and his partner, Charlie Munger, will be interviewed by our friend Becky Quick at 8 p.m. Now, if you own all of, say, the S&P 500, an index that changes all the time, dropping losers that don't make the cut or exiting the stocks of companies that got successful takeover bids and adding the biggest winners of late, then you're taking part in a living, breathing selection process that should generate better returns than just picking 500 random stocks. Now, people call this passive investing, but all that addition and subtraction means the S&P is definitively actively managed. Plus, Buffett and company will tell you that the cost of actively seeking uh, good stocks is, well, it's actually rarely worth the 1% in change that some mutual fund managers charge you versus the S&P, let alone the 2 and plus 20% of the profits that a hedge fund will take. And that's why I always tell you, put some money in a cheap index fund that mirrors the S&P 500. It is a good, safe strategy. Diversification is good. Most people don't do this. They are wrong. So then why do a show about picking individual stocks for 16 years? No less. Because if you do it right, I still think you'll outperform the index funds. And, of course, you're able to determine your own tax situation. Just as important, a lot of people are going to do it wrong no matter what. So I want to at least give them the tools they need to protect themselves. Now, the index fund cultists would have you believe that it's basically impossible to consistently outperform the market. And anyone who pulls it off has pretty much just won the lottery. They make it sound like a game of chance, for heaven's sake. I refuse to accept that. Why? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. So when I was a little boy, my father would take me to get white bags for delivery to his customers, retailers who needed them to package their merchandise when you made a sale. We'd go to the wholesaler to get the bags, pretty much the same kind of thing you use as a lunch bag. And the man who owned the place had a little office at the back of the warehouse where we'd set a lot. 
Every time we went to see the jobber, my dad would say that John was a Marine War hero. Pop had, was Army. He had tremendous respect for any Marine. Then he'd tell me that because of his investing, John was independently wealthy. Now, of course, I had no idea what independently wealthy meant back then. So one day, my dad asked him to explain what he'd done with his profits every year. So John opens his desk and he pulls out this ledger. And in it, he showed me that he bought the stock of Merck, the pharmaceutical company, every year and reinvested the dividends. He'd made millions of dollars doing so, literally millions. And I remember shaking that one man in a warehouse filled with paper bags could have so much darn money simply because he bought shares in a drug company that he didn't work for and didn't know anything about. Or at least he didn't know anything other than it was a great company. What an amazing idea, huh? I remember asking my father, why did he do the same thing? I mean, we didn't have a fraction of John's money. But Pop had a brother who knew a guy who knew another guy whose tennis pro said he should buy the stock of National Video. Oh, I didn't understand why he didn't just go by Merck. But National Video, that was a hot one. Uh, my father said, this, this is a quicker way to make money than buy a Merck. What can I say? Merck's still around. Uh, try f- finding National Video. Uh, back in the day, Merck was the kind of stock that made you fortunes over time. Even decades later, it was the stock that made me independently wealthy. I started my hedge fund with Merck money. National Video, on the other hand, was the kind of stock that made you lose fortunes in short order. I mention this bit of history because I find that many investors haven't asked themselves a simple question. What do they really want from a stock? Right now, we have on display one of the biggest menus of stock winners that I've ever seen. There are tons of Mercs out there, as well as a bunch of national videos. Again, maybe it's safest just to stick to index funds. But I keep thinking of that war hero with his millions of dollars gained by investing in Merck. And my dad, with the thousands of dollars he lost, betting. Not investing, but betting on national video. So why don't we just go over this incredible menu right now? Because I want you to be able to tell the difference between those two types of stocks. First, there's Merck itself, which has kind of lost its way. Well, Merck wasn't a go-go stock uh, back then when when I was little. It did have a lasting heyday of earnings and dividend growth, one that continues to this day. But there are other stocks that have raised their dividends for 25 years. We call them dividend aristocrats. And we've got 65 of them in the S&P 500. National video, it did not pay a dividend. On the other hand, we've got red-hot momentum stocks, the kind uh, beloved by Kathy Wood. And while they rarely pay dividends, they can rack up some enormous gains. Does that make them like national video? I bet you some of them will be. But Wood might be the kind of manager who picks enough winners to drown out her occasional national videos. Then we have people who are investing in IPOs. Lately, most of them seem more like national video than Merck. We got one interesting one, DD, tonight. Let's see what happens with that. We've also got the SPAC plays, which have an anything-goes approach. They can make ridiculous projections about the future. Uh, the government doesn't even care, although fewer and fewer people believe the numbers. Then there are the cryptocurrencies, where a lot of people have made a lot of money, but they're well off their highs, and lately they do seem a little wild west, don't they? You've also got stocks that are in flux. The banks, which are heavily regulated, just got permission to return some capital to shareholders. The, the only one that reacted with more than a yawn was Morgan Stanley, because it surprised us with the size of its capital return plan, and because it's doing really well. Or we have stocks like Facebook, which just beat the FTC in, the, in federal court. Now, the FTC wanted them to make less money. There's a goal. More on that later. Finally, we have stocks like Paychex, which looks a lot like Merck did back in the 60s. Payroll processors giving you a sizable, reliable dividend for 25 years. More than that later, just boosted the dividend. And we have growth names like Shopify, which has been one of the best stocks of our generation. The kind of thing my father was shooting for with National Video, but he clearly didn't get it or else I'd have my own private island right now. I present this menu because I genuinely believe you can find the next Shopify. I know I know that because we found the original Shopify for you 1,400 points ago. 
you can find the next paychecks because we found it for you 70 points ago, sans dividends. You can find the next Facebook, which we recommended to you way back at 18. And of course, you can find the next NVIDIA, a stock I like so much that I'd name not one but two dogs after it. NVIDIA, the first guy, his name changed 600 points ago. So watch Buffett and Munger tonight. They're incredibly smart guys, driven track record. But the bottom line, don't take them too seriously when they tell you that regular investors should stick to index funds and only index funds. Because if you're willing to do the homework, I think you can pick your own winners and outperform the averages, provided you avoid the red-hot national videos. Sometimes I wonder if Poppy even knew what they did, or if they knew what they did either. How about Bradley in California, please? Bradley. Hey, Jim. Dodger Blue greetings from beautiful SoCal. My question is uh, about retailer Macy's Mm -hmm. and your thoughts on the uh, sustainability and momentum as we uh, meander back to normalcy. And do you think the brick-and-mortar stores will benefit? And along those lines, when and if do you think the dividend will be reinstated? Well, I I think Jeff's doing a good job at Macy's. He does need more uh, international travel because the New York store is so important, but he's making a lot of right moves. I'm not sure about the dividend, but the stock is cheap enough that I do want to own it into this period. It's not my favorite brick-and-mortar store, but it's it's good enough. It'll do the job. Can I go to Luis in North Carolina? Luis. Hi, Jim. Talking about the largest e-commerce retailer of South Korea, they're growing exponentially, like doubling revenues quarter over quarter. Their March IPO raised four billion bucks. The stock hit sixty-nine, but dropped to thirty. Right. Today, it popped on double the volume to forty-two. Jim, is it time to uh, load the truck with CPNG coupons? See, I keep coming back, Luis, to why I like Ali. Baba so much. I think that Alibaba's got the right stuff and is breaking out here. And that's the one I want you to buy. And I mean it. I want you to buy it. All right. Index funds aren't the only game in town. They work. But don't let investing legends Buffett or Munger convince you of that either. On tonight, Becky Quick, 8 p.m. If you're willing to do the homework, you can pick winning stocks and I say beat the averages. On Man Body Tonight, global economic activity from merchants on Shopify reached a whopping $307 billion in 2020. Can the strength in e-commerce continue into 2021? I'm eyeing the company after its developer conference to find out what's ahead. Unite! And the weather's heating up. But are the market seasonal patterns getting hotter as well? I'll find out if we're due for a rally when I head off the charts. You not want to miss this. And with vaccines on the rise, economies across the U.S. back in full swing, I'm talking with Paycheck CEO about the state of small business and whether those benefits, if they drop, will mean more people looking for work. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the last six weeks, we've seen a massive rotation back to the kind of turbocharged growth stocks I like. The ones that sold up hard in February and March, to the point where some of them are even making new highs now. Look at Kramer Fave Shopify, the software company that helps businesses of all sizes set up their own e-commerce platforms. Millions of jobs created. From the bottom of May 13th to its peak early last week, Shopify rallied more than 50%. That's pulled back a little bit slightly. While hyper-growth stocks go in and out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, Shopify keeps plugging away, investing in its platform, delivering excellent results, helping people all over the world. Plus, today, the company hosted its annual Shopify Unite event for partners and developers, where they announced some major infrastructure innovations, including new tools to help merchants better customize their own digital stores. So let's take a closer look with Harley Finkelstein, friend of the show, president of Shopify, learn more about these announcements and what comes next. Mr. Finkelstein, welcome back to Mad Money. So great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me on again. All right, Harley, do you think it's ever possible that a single merchant will be able to sell 300,000 pairs of sneakers in just over eight minutes? Well, that's the goal, at least. We want to make sure that when merchants use Shopify, they have no restrictions, no limitations. And so when you, you, you talked about Shopify Unite, and there are really two components of, of, of the Unite announcements today. One was, of course, more flexible, more scalable, more high-performing version of Shopify than ever before, where merchants can customize their storefronts. You look at the new Netflix store that launched a couple weeks ago on Shopify using our online store 2.0. This is the first time that, that Netflix ever had an online store and they were able to customize a store that was specific to their needs. You look at the infrastructure announcements that we made with some of the storefront APIs and companies like Allbirds creating new mobile apps that unlock exclusive deals and, of course, now allow uh, consumers to try on shoes using augmented reality. But then we also talked about Shopify Checkout. And you and I have talked about Shopify Checkout for a long time, for many years, because the biggest flash sales on the planet all happen on Shopify. But what we wanted to do on the checkout side was really extend the customization capabilities to checkout and shop pay so that if a merchant wants to build specific experiences, donation requests, they want to do upsells, they want to do buy now, pay later, everything is now available from Shopify. And if they want to sell 300,000 pairs of sneakers in a few minutes, they can do that. Well, this is joyous because everybody has a dream. 
And the dream can be realized because of the man you're looking at and his incredible team, Canadian team. I'm going to say that because that's how I always think of you guys. Now, <laughs> one of the things I told my wife, Lisa, is, is that do you know that this man knows every single business that has been helped by Shopify? But I'm going to let it go off easily. Choco Soul Traders, tell me about them. <laughs> It's interesting that you bring up that particular store because actually that's a great pandemic story. Here you have uh, a Toronto-based social enterprise that works directly with farmers and makes their chocolate from scratch. During the pandemic, they were hit hard. They had a physical store in Toronto. And using Shopify, they were very easily able to move online, but also do things like curbside checkout, checkout and also uh, use touchless payments. But really, I think Shopify, Jim, we are this rare breed in that we were this wonderful pandemic store. We helped small businesses find resiliency and survive the pandemic. And now we really have fully transitioned to being this global recovery story as countries open up. And, and I think you and I agree that the center of gravity for commerce has permanently shifted online. And every merchant, every brand, every small business now requires a retail operating system and they need to do multi-channel natively. And that's what Shopify is best in the world at. And in 2020 alone, over 450 million people checked out on Shopify. That's about 8% of the global population. And we're now looking at about 9% of all e-commerce in the US is going through Shopify. And remember, we are a proxy for independent small businesses. And you know, when you see the consumer confidence numbers that came out this morning, you see that consumers are voting with their wallets to buy from these independent brands. Well, one of the things I like is I was going back and forth with Mark Zuckerberg today, and he is so proud of his relationship with you to help small businesses grow with him. I mean, you kind of cracked the code if you got Zook telling me he likes working with you. It's, it's pretty amazing, whether it's our relationship with Facebook or a new partnership with Google or some of the things we announced with TikTok and Pinterest. We really believe that the future of retail is going to take place in the modern day town squares. And consumers are spending their time on Facebook and they're spending their time on Instagram and YouTube and Google Maps. And it is our responsibility if we want to build a future-proof commerce system to make sure that all those integrations are easy for merchants so they can reach all of their consumers wherever they may be. Now, in particular with Facebook and Instagram, the fact this is the first time that ShopPay is now available to retailers that are not even on Shopify. And we think that's going to make it much easier for commerce to be conducted in a decentralized independent way and we're very proud of our partnerships Harley, can i tell you that there are still people who don't believe that you invest in companies that you are just some sort of factotum they don't get that you have heart and soul i'm going to give you another chance because of unite just how many businesses have you saved how many businesses have you helped create that wouldn't exist well, it's kind of amazing. I mean, we talked about capital being such an important part of building a business. And actually, we've now given up more than $2 billion of cumulative capital uh, since we launched Shopify Capital. And it took it took us four years to, to give out the first billion dollars in just a quarter to double that to $2 billion. Now, again, this is capital that otherwise these small businesses would not be able to receive. But remember, we want to democratize the opportunity, not just for small business, but also for developers. And one of the most profound and impactful announcements that, that I, I made today at, on, on, on stage at Unite was the fact that we've now reduced the rev share for developers to 0% on their first million dollars. That means that if you build an app on Shopify, your first million dollars is all yours. <laughs> and that is really important because we believe in this idea of building a real ecosystem. And we want thousands and tens of thousands of developers building on Shopify. You know, last year, our, our partners generated about $12 billion in revenue, which is about four times what Shopify made. And that's what we mean when we say we want to create more value for them than we capture for ourselves. And that economy of developers and partners on Shopify, it keeps growing. 
Okay, so uh, now that the pandemic hopefully is winding down, we know there are issues. Are, are, are companies less in need? I mean, have we gotten to the point where you no longer feel or the companies aren't, aren't as, let's say, strapped because things are starting to really open up? Oh, no, not at all. What we are seeing is wow. that entrepreneurship is now part of the global recovery story. Small business is going to lead the charge in bringing our cities and communities back to where we were pre-pandemic. What I think is also really important to understand is that businesses have now had to be forced to be resilient. So there is no more, re- like the idea of saying I'm an omni-channel or multi-channel retailer today is like saying I have a color TV. Every right. single retailer, every business needs to sell multi-channel across every single service possible. And I think, again, when you have the supply side of these great brands building these great products and selling everywhere, and you have the consumer demand saying, we want to buy, we want to vote with our wallets to buy from independent brands, you have one of the most important new emergence in, in entrepreneurship, maybe ever. I think we're living in, in a very special time for small business, and I've never been more bullish on entrepreneurship than I am right now. It wouldn't be a special time if you you and your team uh, didn't do this, or if you and your team had sold out for $100 when we saw each other for $50, and there were so many companies who said, I'll pay a double, I'll pay a double again. And you knew, you knew, but more important, you had pride, and you were never going to let this one go. I want to thank you for everything you've done, Harley Finkelstein, for changing, for changing every millions of people's hopes and dreams into businesses that make money. No charity, they make money. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Guys, we do this show because of this guy. This is what we do. There's lots of companies I love. I always want to talk about lots of companies. But then there are companies that just make me feel like, you know what? Business is the greatest source for social change. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, do seasons drive the stocks? Kramer tackles the market's hottest patterns off the charts. Next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At a moment when the NASDAQ and the S&P keep making record highs happen again. How do we get our arms around this market? So many people are confused. I mean, we've made this move on the back of a powerful rotation out of the industrials, still going on, into the kinds of stocks that tend to thrive in a slowing economy. Because Wall Street's convinced that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates in order to tamp down inflation. That's why the NASDAQ and SP are beating the more cyclical Dow Jones Industrial Average. Don't panic. It's fine. But understand that's what's going on. When we keep making new highs, you've got to wonder how much longer the market can continue to roar. That's what I keep getting asked about. And that's why tonight we're going back to the well. 
We're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams, the legendary technician who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since I was in grade school. And he's been so hot, I couldn't resist. He's also written more than a dozen books and created a host of indicators that we use all the time here. More important, for over a year now, he's been on fire, nailing nearly every twist and turn in this roller coaster of a market, including the most recent one. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, Williams warned us about this late June swoon. He had looked at the data from the last 22 years and concluded that the market almost always rolls over in mid to late June before rebounding a few days or a week later. Sure enough, we got hammered later that week, and it created a phenomenal entry point if you were nimble enough to take advantage of it, if you did exactly what he said. See, that's Larry specialty. He identifies all sorts of cycles that tend to repeat themselves year after year, including both seasonal and stock-specific patterns. We're going to cover two of them. Last spring, when everyone was tearing their hair out about how COVID would destroy the economy, he predicted that both the economy and the stock market would bottom by mid-May. I mean, this was like the gutsiest call around, an ultimate contrarian called shot. And he absolutely knocked it out of the park, arguably the best investment advice on the show last year. Beyond that, he's always looking for important dates on the calendar, when a stock or an index is likely to change its trajectory. Now, we've seen a bunch of these, buy, buying stocks uh, going into Thanksgiving, buying the retailers going into Easter, and it's stunning how often they worked out. So I couldn't. I, I, I had to go. I had to go to them. And it brings us where we are right now. While the market's been roaring lately, Williams thinks it's got more room to run. As he sees it, this market is not running out of steam. If anything, it could be about to step into high gear because we're headed into the 4th of July rally. Not every stock. We're going to cover one later, but many. So what makes them so confident? Okay, I want you to take a look at this daily chart of the S&P 500 futures. Now, the red line down at the bottom represents the S&P's seasonal pattern projected out through the rest of the year. Look at this, will you? Typically, the market tends to rally at this time of the year with a nice run through mid to late July. If history is any guide, then you'd expect the S&P to keep running from these levels. And Williams has spent his whole career demonstrating that history can be an incredibly reliable guide for stocks. Not perfect. These patterns are never 100% reliable. Sometimes they break down. But when it comes to trading stocks, it's always better to have history on your side. And is history ever on your side right here? Now, we know that because we took advantage of the same 4th of July trade last year, and it worked out fabulously. While it might not work out again this year, Williams likes your odds, and I do too. So what's the optimal way to play the seasonal pattern? Now, check out this chart. It's kind of more of a histogram. Williams has calculated how you would have done if you bought the S&P 500 futures on the first trading day of July and then held for up to 12 more days. As is so often the case, the longer you hold, the longer you hold a winning trade, the more money you make. In this case, William points out that the maximum profit comes when you ring the register on days 8 through 12. Okay, look at this. There, there. Some trades you need to exit quickly because they tend to be short-lived. That was the case with the late June swoon a couple weeks ago. You had to sell stocks early and then swap back in a couple days later because the market quickly rebounded, like he said it would. This 4th of July trade tends to have more longevity than that. If it starts working in your favor, William says it probably has legs and you've got to keep holding on. So how accurate is Larry's seasonal forecast? What percentage of the time has this trade actually worked? First off, while accuracy is very important, it's not enough to have a trade that works 70 or 80 percent of the time because you also need to make sure the gains outweigh the losses. If a trade works nearly every year, 
Uh, but then it has one or two enormous losses that far outweigh the gains. It means that the risk reward is not your favorite. So now I got another table for you to look at. This one measures how you would have done if you had bought the S&P futures on the first day of July and then sold however many trading days later over the last 23 years. Okay. now, if if you only care about accuracy, then history says you'd actually want to sell right here. Right. Uh, A day or two later. That way you'd have a winning trade roughly 80 percent of the time right here. Okay, so that's the easiest. But now if you hang out. Uh, and you go for more than five trading days, okay, then the accuracy declines. See, right there, big step down. However, while the risk of getting it wrong rises, holding on for 12 days tends to give you the largest gain. So you got to gauge yourself. On average, you would have made more than three times as much money selling on day 12 versus selling on day one. If you want a reliable, ultra-short-term trade, then buying the S&P at the open on Thursday, okay, and, and then selling it on Friday would be the safest way to go. But if you're willing to accept a little more risk, Williams is adamant that buying on Thursday and then selling 12 days later is the best way to go. Given his track record, I believe him, and that's uh, good news for the broader market. So I suggest, all right. However, this is a bit of a downer. I didn't like it. There's at least one stock. One stock he wouldn't want to own going into the 4th of July rally. It's the one the government isn't after, the analysts love. It's a total Kramer fave. Microsoft. His reasoning. All right, we'll take a look at Microsoft's daily chart. This is a bummer for me. Although the stock's been roaring since all things tech bottom in mid-May, Williams has noticed something curious about this rally. Check out the purple on-balance volume line at the bottom, Okay. See, this is a cumulative indicator that measures volume flow, adding the volume on up days, then subtracting the volume on down days. For chartists, volume is like a polygraph. When you see a big move on a modest volume, it often means that the move is lying. It's a fib. And when it comes to Microsoft's recent run, Williams points out that there's hardly any volume behind it at all. That's the kind of pattern we typically see before a sell-off. Oh, and he's noticed the same thing in Apple, Amazon, and Google. Definitely something to keep in mind. Now, I know I am. We own all these stocks from my charitable trust. You can follow along by joining my ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We're committed to owning them, but I don't like what I see here. Now, here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams suggest that the S&P 500 has more room to run over the next two or three weeks. The so-called Fourth of July rally that worked so well for us last year because of him. But though he sees the broader market headed higher, Williams recommends steering clear of big tech right now because those stocks have been roaring on weak volume, which tells him they're fragile. I say I am not a trader of these names. Too hard to get out and then get back in again. But those who are inclined, the data is pretty convincing. Tim in New York. Tim. What's up, Jim? It's Tim. I'm from Long Island. Um, I'm calling about the stock Context Logic, a.k.a. Wish. Mm. Uh, do you think after the partnerships announced recently of merchants outside of China, with Wish still being down 44% since the IPO, and the hiring of Jacqueline Reese's from Square, does Wall Street bets have it right? Are you? Well, I have to tell you, what I did was poll people about this. People love the product. They love the product. Now, I don't want to, you know, when I see a stock that had 101 million shares trade or Marin Software, which had like 300 million shares, that is daunting to me. I, I don't know what to make of that. That just seems kind of a little crazy. But when, the, when people tell me the product's good, what can I tell you, Tim? Um, who am I to say that it's no good? Hey, why don't we go to Ann in my home state, New Jersey. Ann. 
Yes, that's me, and I love you, Jim. Oh, I love thank you, you Ann. Hey, I love even though I want to stop this, that you, you said you loved, which everybody else seems to love, too, but since then, it's gone down, down, down. I need to know, I spell it, it's A. E-N-O. Oh, I know. And I like them. And their software is so good, it's just abstruse is the word that comes to me. People don't understand that when banks merge, they choose it. I think it's really good. Maybe because it's in Wilmington, North Carolina, and doesn't get any publicity. But I would say, look, i got to say stick with it. I keep the Encino ba- uh, bell on my desk because I keep thinking, ah, I can't be this wrong. I can't be. I say stick with it. All right, the chart suggested the S&P could shift into high gear over the next two or three weeks. But... The charts also say beware of big tech. They're up on no volume. Those stocks may be hitting the brakes in the near term. I'm not losing faith. Much more mad money had his worries over a tighter labor market continue to make headlines. I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Paychex to find out what he's seeing. Then the government isn't a reason to sell Facebook or the FANG stocks. And oil costs rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. As we head into Friday's always huge employment report, the most important macro number out there, especially in a market like this where Wall Street's worried about wage inflation from a tight labor market, can we glean anything about the state of hiring from the payroll processors? Take Paychecks, long our favorite, which handles payroll and also human resources outsourcing for all sorts of small, medium-sized businesses. This is a company that usually reports excellent numbers, only to see its stock sell off anyway. But when Paychecks delivered this quarter, this was a terrific one. Last Friday, clean top and bottom line beat, bullish full-year forecast, much more bullish than analysts were looking for. They finally broke the pattern with the stock roaring in response. In fact, it just made another new all-time high today. So what can we extrapolate from these results? Let's check in with Marty Busey. He's the president and CEO of Paychex to get a clearer picture of the quarter and what is going on. Marty, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here with you. All right. Well, let's start by saying happy 50th. It's an amazing thing for companies to be 50 years old, to get that far. What has been, if you had to look at the long-term success of Paychex, the reason why you went from being a small company, very small when you started, to being the giant in your business? Well, thanks, Jim. I think it's been really about the people at Paychex. Our employees have made the difference with service and the innovation. You know, we have always tried to stay ahead of the market from a technology and innovation perspective, always focused on serving our clients and being there for them. And and none better time than the pandemic when they were really trying to fight for their survival. We were there to help them and be a friend to small business and medium businesses. Well, you absolutely have been, and particularly with PPP, which has been very difficult to understand. But you had a team that was all set so that people could get that money back that they needed to stay in business. Right. And we helped, you know, helped our clients get over $65 billion in PPP loans, as well as turn them into grants with the forgiveness. And we're now on a mission to really help them with the employee retention tax credit. Probably one of the best things for small and mid-sized businesses right now, right through the end of the year. We've already processed over $3 billion worth of employee retention tax credits, which is cash in their pocket to help them out right now. Can you tell people how to do that who, are, who may not even know it or not paychecks customers don't understand? This sounds like a great opportunity for people. Well, it is. And, Jim, you know, it's really an opportunity. It, we talk to the client. We take care of 
uh, filing for this. Basically, they can keep the withholdings of some of the taxes that they're withholding from their employees and for themselves. They don't have to pay those taxes once they file for the employee retention tax credits. If they're keeping employees, retaining them in their business, this helps them offset wages, wage increases, as well as maybe some of the pay for new employees that they're bringing in. It's cash in their hand, which is very helpful to small and mid-sized businesses right now. I'm writing this stuff down because one of our businesses is not covered by you. My my others are, so I'm not concerned. All right, so this was the biggest raise I've ever seen you do. So you had a level of confidence because you're a very conservative man. Something is happening, Marty, that you were able to make that increase in forecast that made me feel almost roaring 20s-like. Things can be that good? Well, you know, Jim, we had a record-breaking fourth quarter. As you mentioned, you know, we had the best sales results in a fourth quarter we've ever had, best revenue recorded and as well as operating income. And we're forecasting, as you said, to take our industry-leading operating margin from a little over 36% to 38% next year. I think there's just great demand for our HR support, our compliance help, our time and attendance, our payroll and retirement services. And we're able to hold our expenses down to produce great industry-leading margins. All right, now maybe you can help us settle a debate here. The Wall Street Journal this weekend basically said that Americans are leaving unemployment rolls more quickly and states cutting off benefits. The New York Times, on the other hand, said where jobless benefits were cut, jobs are still hard to find. Now, these are diametrically opposed stories. Obviously, we are all, including the Fed chief, worried about whether if you cut those unemployment benefits and people come back to work. Marty, you're probably the only person in the whole country that knows the answer. What is? Can you settle that debate between these two papers and the rest of us in the country? Well, Jim, what we're hearing from our clients is really it's a combination of many things that's making it tough to hire. It is the unemployment uh, being higher than normal. That's definitely there in most areas. That's going to be that way through Labor Day. We're also hearing, though, very much that, you know, as you've said, there's stimulus money in people's right. bank accounts right now. And so there's stimulus money they didn't expect, and they're feeling a little bit more secure right now, at least through the summer. You're also seeing, of course, the market doing well for those in the market. You have COVID health concerns about people being resistant about coming back until more people are vaccinated. And then you have child care, daycare and schools that aren't back to normal. I think we kind of see this all coming together around the September time frame. And I think that will really open up the market to allow people to be able to hire a little bit easier, would be okay. our sense. Well, shouldn't there be um, some concern among people who are jobless that they ought to lock in some great rate now versus when a lot of people come in in October where I think that we can actually drop how much we pay? Well, I think that's a great question. I, I do think, Jim, that's true. I think you're seeing elevated minimum starting rates. You know, people, you know, even the frontline service positions up 17, 18, sometimes $20 an hour where they were less than 15. But I think people are saying right now there's all, all those concerns I mentioned. And when you balance it out, I think they're waiting. They're going to kind of do a little bit of wait and see. And then I think it'll start to pick up again in September. However, I will tell you that our clients hired you know, over 300,000 new employees last month and 3 million in the last 12 months. So there's hiring going on. I was amazed at the hiring in leisure and hospitality. Just to me, that's a boom, Marty. Yeah, it really is. And it's great for those folks. And, and the supply is there, as you know, a lot of pent up demand, as you know, for restaurants and a lot of service positions. Uh, I think, you know, the tough part is that a lot of it's part time right now and the employers are being a little bit careful that if they have to pay higher wages, do they bring as many back? But right now it's all about finding the people and hiring them. 
And I think they'll be able to find them, and we're out there to try to support them with our HR support as well to be to doing just that. Well, I know, again, I always disclose I'm a client, and you do a great job. This is, this is your time, Marty. It really is. And I'm glad that all the analysts, well, there's still one who doesn't understand it. All the analysts recognize it's not about the, the float. It's about all the products that you now offer that companies need. Thank you to Marty Music, President and CEO of Paychex. Happy 50th birthday. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, money's back here for the Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's up in the lightning And then the lightning rounds are, are you ready? Ski dead to the lightning rounds. It's George in California. George. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim, and all these years of your expertise on the market. What was the one? Thanks for providing all these years oh, of my expertise you. Thank on the market. Thank you very much. Thank you. And hey, this time. Uh, if, if you're like me and you own property in uh, California, you've probably noticed your insurance go through the roof uh, in the recent year. I've had a 43% increase. I all states and I've never had a single claim. Wow. Um, I've came across a company. Uh, it was a blessing in disguise, actually. I came across a company called Hippo.com. It's an insurance tech company. And uh, they got me rates that were much lower than what I was paying before and coverage that was much, much better. Okay. Um, I, got, I got five of my friends to switch give over me, to them within, within a few company, months. Now, this company company has partnered with reinvent technology partners okay yeah it's a spac it's a spac uh and, and this is the hippo which people like for insurance and i'm not going to fight it because it's under debt how about that let's go to brett and washington brett booyah jim booyah brett um first time caller long time listener okay and wanted to thank you for your help on investing oh you're um, very kind thank you Calling about uh, Baidu, B-I-D-U. Baidu is my second favorite after Alibaba. I mean, for people who don't like Alibaba, Baidu is making a real comeback here. Those are the only two that I've really been talking about other than JD. I don't like a lot of the Chinese stocks. Didi's uh, pricing tonight, that is one I do like. That's the Uber of China. Let's go to Michael in New York. Michael! Jim, thank you for taking my call. You're quite welcome. I'm calling about DigitalOcean, symbol D-O-C-N. That's another. It's, 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 it's still one more company, infrastructure platform tools. There's too many of these companies. I don't want to own another one of these companies. Too many of them. Just go with Adobe. Go with Adobe. That's the way to play it. Scott and South Carolina. Scott. Booyah, Jimbo. Booyah. Hey, uh- Bought a couple hundred shares of a stock two weeks ago, and um, UBS dropped its rating down to 162 last week. I'm up a few percent. I want to know what to do with my Clorox stock. All right, Clorox. I am betting right now that Linda Rendell is going to make you money if you buy the stock of Clorox under 180. I want to bank with her right here. I think it makes sense. Two and a half percent yield. Good company. Buy the stock of Clorox. One more. Matthew in Minnesota. Matthew. Jim, thank you for teaching me how to build wealth for my family. Oh, you're quite welcome. Quite welcome. Yeah. 
Uh, a few months ago, I purchased shares of my first special purpose acquisition company. Okay. Uh, this was Richard. It was Richard Branson's SAC, which just took public. Twenty three and E ticker symbol M E. What do you think about the company going? That's Amber Jicky. She's bankable. I was going to try to get my dog to do M D. Apparently, it happened for dogs. You know, because he's like fifty two different. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, 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 variants. He's got 52 different variants in him. But uh, it's just a really good company. My wife really likes it. A lot of people really love it. The name of Jakey is, think is really great. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, should the government's approach to Fang make you think twice about Facebook? Or is the FTC just pulling teeth? Kramer drops the wisdom next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You know, if you spack something, then it would be like David. You would need like a spack report. <laughs> you would. You waiting, waiting. waiting. We're trying to cue the uh, boot. Back report. We love it. There, there it is. is. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, there at the end. <laughs> I love the end. You like I the modulation? Yeah, yeah, okay. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. Never get on the wrong side of a federal judge. Never. Because they will beat you down mercilessly. That's how I feel about this federal court ruling against the Federal Trade Commission. That's the FTC. And it's a crusade to stop Facebook from monopolizing the social networking business in a way that hurts its users. But federal court judge James Boasberg wasn't having any of it. His ruling yesterday was nothing less than a primer on how the FTC and the 40 states that sued with them were so incredibly wrong in the way they brought the case and the remedies they asked for. It was embarrassing. Bosberg's a distinguished jurist, an Obama appointee, yet his ruling was filled with caustic comments. Just one big better luck next time reproach. I say better luck next time because I actually am confident there will be a next time. The regulators are still gunning for Facebook and the other big tech outfits, too. It's the only thing that the Democrats, Republicans in Washington seem to agree on. While this FTC, currently dominated by Trump appointees, really fumbled its attempts to explain who Facebook was actually hurting, let alone why they were hurt or what should be done about it, I am sure they'll go at it again. At the same time, Boasberg did lay out a roadmap for how a more competent regulatory agency might go about bringing a stronger case. And you can bet that the FTC's new chair, the 32-year-old firebrand Lena Khan, will start pursuing Facebook in a much more thoughtful way. Yet I still think she's going to lose. As I see it, this case shows you how any regulatory attempt to contain big tech it could be doomed to failure. I'm surprised that their stocks didn't all work again today, because unlike Congress, the judiciary is interested in facts, not grandstanding. Based on the facts, it's very hard to get these companies on antitrust grounds. Even assuming you believe Facebook's a monopoly to begin with, something, by the way, the judge acknowledged, but it's easy to dispute when you consider the existence of Twitter, TikTok, Snap. As long as they're not hurting customers, it's going to be hard to find a court willing to crack down on them. 
I know both political parties are united in the idea that these companies are just too powerful. And by these companies, of course, I, I mean FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. But what we saw in this ruling is that being too powerful is not by itself an antitrust violation, at least not according to the judiciary. And that's who matters. The regulators need more than that if they want to stop Fang. And I'm using the amorphous word stop because the FTC hasn't even figured out what they would want to do to basically hobble a very popular product so it doesn't block new competitors. Plus, in the most damning part of the ruling, which was great reading, actually. The judge pointed out that when Facebook acquired Instagram and WhatsApp, exhibits A and B for how they stifle innovation, both these deals got lengthy reviews by the FTC itself, which then gave them its blessing. How the heck do they approve these transactions, then turn around a few years later and cite them as examples of anti-competitive behavior? Hey, don't forget at the time, lots of people thought Zuckerberg wildly overpaid for both these companies. Wall Street couldn't figure out how the heck he could justify those crazy valuations. Any other big tech company could have easily come in, swooped in, bought them if they wanted to compete with Facebook. Now, Facebook stock jumped 14 points yesterday, down three unchanged today, but jumped 14 points on the news, in part because the FTC couldn't really show harm. And with no harm, well, there is no remedy. Could the same be said, I wonder, about Apple with its app store? Maybe they're not a bad actor. Hey, how about Alphabet with Search or Amazon with its own products? In each case, I could easily argue that the gains for the consumer far outweigh the losses for these companies' competitors. In many cases, the issue is that they're undercutting their rivals, which is great for you. If they ever start charging too much, then the competition will take off. When I first read the ruling, I speculated to myself that this could be the high-water mark in the government's attempt to crack down on big tech. Oh, that's wrong. The new head of the FTC is way too aggressive to give up now. But this ruling is a reminder that regulatory action is a bad reason to sell the FANG stocks. These stories are all about sales and earnings, not antitrust enforcement. And on that basis, they're all buys. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.